Our world is built with stories. Sometimes these stories cause suffering by pulling us apart from ourselves and each other. The Liturgist Podcast helps people love more and suffer less by pulling apart the stories that pull us apart. Today's story, being good means my beliefs shouldn't change. This is the story of my life these past three years. If you had asked me two years ago if it was bad to change beliefs, I would have said yes, because change of beliefs means compromise. It's hard for me to go to the family church and not just pick apart everything they preach. So I'm in the middle of a faith transition myself right now, and I don't think that there is much bad about it. Honestly, it's been a season of growth and love in peace, in joy, but I am worried that what for me is a step of fidelity and openness and growth in my relationship with God is going to be seen by my community as an act of unfaithfulness and betrayal. It's mostly felt very unstable, completely uprooted. I don't feel like I have a framework for seeing the world anymore. I have these internalized voices of the church, my parents, toxic version of God, and I can't seem to let them go. I don't really know what I believe anymore or if I believe in anything anymore. So I feel a significant amount of of shame and fear that I'll get caught and lose my job. So my beliefs have definitely changed. I just don't know what to. And I feel really guilty about that. I feel like that's not something I can tell my friends. I felt that I would lose the people closest to me. I don't feel like I fit anywhere anymore. I realized I couldn't hide anymore. And the few people I have told have started to pull away from me. Yeah, it's hard, and there are relational consequences. He doesn't know how it's going to work out if we're believing different things now, especially with raising our three-year-old daughter, and what are we going to teach her, and what's it going to look like to her if mom and dad don't agree on certain things. He told me that we could no longer be brothers. This tension would form. We would start filtering our words, and I could feel that deep intimacy that was held together by some tribal sameness would slowly become unglued. I felt a lot of shame for changing my beliefs. It makes me feel shame. This just overwhelming shame. And guilt. Shame, guilt, anxiety. Somehow broken or bad. I definitely feel bad for the way that my beliefs have changed. And you're always looking back at yourself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I changing too much? Am I not changing enough? You know, she married me under this um, understanding that we were going to share a belief system and a way of looking at the world. And at first, yeah, I would label it as bad. But now, I've seen the beauty and good from that change. I'm Hillary McBride. And I'm Michael Gunger. Today we're talking about how being good doesn't necessarily mean that our beliefs didn't change. So just off the top, Mr. Michael Gunger, what comes up for you when you hear that statement? Being good means my beliefs shouldn't change. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us 
feel some of these stories that we pull apart in the podcast, like when you just ask them so baldly and plainly, kind of like, well, <laughs> yeah. duh, no. But we feel that. I mean, I felt that. There's a model of what a good person is. Lisa, my wife, actually used this example a couple nights ago. She was We were talking with some friends. She felt like she always had this kind of figurine of like what a good woman was or what a good girl was. Mm. And it was kind of like, this is what goodness is. This is what a person right. should be. And this is how, this is what they believe. And this is how they behave. And there was kind of like this, this model, this construct in the head. And, and trying to like align with that for a lot of us is the work, right? Like we are, we're trying to mm. be what, what we know we should be that person that that does that behaves in this way and doesn't get super angry at somebody when they cut get cut off in traffic and that that always smells good and always is kind and is really funny and charming and (laughs) i like that you just uh, threw that in there that smelling good was along with being kind (laughs) yeah well i mean like if i wasn't paying attention i would have been like yeah of course of course of course (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I mean, it can go into physical things. Like, I should have, mm. I should have a six pack. I should be not bald. I should be, you know, whatever. I should weigh right. this much. Right, right. Um, even if, the, again, when you say those things out loud, it can be kind of silly. Because who's going to say that? I, I, I should not be bald, <laughs> but they, we feel like it. I take right. Propecia. Um, you know, because uh, to to keep mm. my hair sl- the the hair falling out as slow as possible. Yeah, I, I I think of like being good. That's a concept, and the beliefs that I feel like I should have about the world is is often part of that model. No, I don't know if I would have ever said that because of course I, my beliefs are incomplete, and I'm human, and I I don't see everything clearly. Um, hmm. so hopefully I'm growing in my beliefs, but there's that feeling, that story that's somewhere down in there. That's like, careful. If you're, you're going to start asking questions, if you're going to start changing your beliefs, cause that could, that could send you into being bad. <laughs> right. What about you? Right. Yeah. What about you? How have you experienced that? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go full therapist on this question. Good. I wrote it down and just as I was, I was looking at the words, uh, therapist training in me really zeroed in on the word should. Like we've got this mm. therapist joke that mostly just therapists laugh at. Um, so buckle up. But we say <laughs> you, like you shouldn't. <laughs> it's so it's so not funny. It's just real low. <laughs> I'm real excited. Low about ball, low hanging fruit humor. <laughs> but the idea is that like you, we we use the word should as a kind of behavioral and cognitive control that either some people imposed on us or that we imposed on ourselves. And we call this shooting on yourself. Like you're, uh, you're shitting all over the place. <laughs> like the That's pretty good. It, well, yeah, that's pretty you're, good. You're being generous. You're being generous. It's not good. <laughs> I wouldn't like suggest you go to the the comedy store and like try it out, but it's Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Okay, I'll work on my material. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> but the the shoulds are are really restrictive. And the hack that we often suggest to people is just switch it to could. Like someone saying like, oh, I, you know, I'm so bad because I should be 
this at my at this point in my life by now or I should have done all the vacuuming today or I should have been a better friend or I should have whatever and and the should is really closely tied with shame like mm-hmm. it's because there's an expectation that something must look a, a certain way that we then feel guilt and shame because we're not within the confines of that expected behavior or thinking oh I just remembered another one uh must mm-hmm. we say don't masturbate ah. That's the other the that's the the second low hanging fruit therapist joke that <laughs> usually makes its rounds blue, at blue some therapy point. yeah yeah that's right <laughs> so we like we create these or we're given these shoulds or musts and and those are really where the problem is like what would happen if uh, if we changed it to could mm-hmm. right like I I could vacuum today I could be a better friend. I could have shown up for that person in that way. Um, that is one of the options, but could implies that there's a whole bunch of options where should implies that things have to look a certain way. And yeah. so when we're thinking about language and how we use language, even simply changing changing the words to give us just a little bit more freedom, all of a sudden, yeah, there's some more options if if we're not thinking about should in the same way. I think the problem with with the idea that being good, being something related to action and something related to the way we behave or the way that we think implies a kind of conditionality on our goodness. Mm. And I just, on a fundamental level, really oppose that. Yeah. I, I don't think that you can earn goodness and I don't think it can be taken away from you by changing your ideas. And... I think that we're inherently good. I think that we can also behave in disrespectful, unhelpful, non-pro-social ways. But I think that as as beings, as life, it's fundamentally good. Mm. I think we're I think we're good. And I, I know that as I say that there are people in their minds who are thinking, well, what about Hitler? And like, what about the mass shooters? And you know, it really helps us, I think, feel okay about ourselves if we say we're good because we're we're behaving this way but those people are bad because they're behaving that way and it makes us feel separate from them but i think there's i think the logic is flawed to say that behavior makes us good or bad um, on a fundamental level because then who gets who gets to decide that yeah is that something that's internally created is that something that uh, we we use our feelings to assess. Is that something that is mediated by people who have power outside of us? And what happens if they're corrupt? But if we're following what they say, are we still good even if they're bad? Like as we we start to pull it apart, it's um, there's a lot of flaws in the idea that we could be good based on our behavior or our thinking. Mm. So when we think about this question, I I think I don't. I don't know if being good is anything other than being. Yes. And that maybe we have these social structures that uh, impose on us a value system about our thinking or our behavior. But but maybe however you think wouldn't make you good or bad. What if that was true? What if your beliefs could change or not change and it had nothing to do with your goodness? What then? That's what comes up for me. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Mm. I think that, I think I mean that's a revolutionary idea for so many, so many of us. 
and so much of religion is based upon the fundamental premise that you are bad. Right. Yeah. And you need, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's only God's grace that makes, right. it's not right. you that's good. It's God's, it's God's grace in you that's good. And that, mm. it, that sound on the surface, when you're in that, it can sound kind of humble or, um, mm. you know, trusting of God and his goodness. And, and it's, it's, I'm not so prideful and narcissistic as to think that I'm good. Mm. It's God that's good. But it's so destructive because, yeah. yeah, what you're saying, like if if I am fundamentally bad, if I'm not fundamentally good just because I am, if being itself is flawed, right? Uh, then right. yeah, what ground do you have to say that anything is good? What ground do you have to say that God is good? That right. love is good. That right. anything is good because it's coming out of muddy. It's coming out of poisoned waters. If fundamentally it's bad, then it's all bad. Right. That's the source. Right. Right. Um, but if fundamentally source where we're coming from being is good, and that gets filtered into ways and and channeled energetically into ways that are maybe less helpful or less less skillful, less uh mm. con- you know concerned about the the larger picture and and, and they, so they become destructive in ways it's a much firmer philosophical <laughs> story to to be operating from that this is all fundamentally you get down to the bottom of it it's good but it can get misdirected yeah, is so yeah. much better and, um and and effective i think in in creating a life and creating meaning and and yes. living out of a a full place, then the fundamental story that goodness yeah. has to be injected from some being out there. I, the story I think I, I remember hearing in church was it was because of our badness that we needed God. And consequently, it was because of God's goodness in light of our badness that we worshiped God. Yeah. And the more that that changed for me and the more that I saw, like, well, no, 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 I think as Richard Rohr says, um, Genesis 1 comes before Genesis 3. Like, it was always good first. It was yeah. always, always, always good first. And my my ideas and beliefs started to align with that more. I actually felt more interested in being this, uh, what you might call like worship or awe or wonder place because Everything around me was a mark of God's goodness and was a mark of being and goodness and God itself. Like mm. I, there was nowhere that I could look where I didn't see like, wow, look at this all happening. Isn't this all beautiful? Mm. Isn't this all, all of it some, something to be in wonder at, to see this, this whole thing unfolding? So I, I, for me, it didn't, it didn't hold up to say, we needed to be bad in order to worship God, in order to be in a worshipful state, which to me is like maybe the language I would use now is awe and wonder and like this kind of jaw-dropping ability to, to, to stand back and see life happening yeah. as it is. Mm. But I think like the, if I think about it now, my idea is not that, like that still we need to be saved by Christ, by by the Christ, but it's, it's from our ideas about ourselves, not mm, from our badness. Yeah. It's actually that Christ is coming to save us from the story that we were bad. Yeah. And I was like, come, 
come join me. I want you to see you Mm. as I see you. Like, see what's really happening here. Yeah, you need to be saved for sure. (laughs) But not from your badness, but from the story that you were bad. That was never my story for you. Mm. That was never what was going on here. So join me in seeing things as they really are and wake up. Yeah. Right? Like wake up and and maybe the language that I would use when I think about therapy is unbecoming. Like, oh, unbecome all of those things that you thought you had to be to be loved. That to me feels like what we might call salvation or mm. awakening or enlightenment. Yeah. The unbecoming. Pull back those stories. Yeah. The stories you believed about how you had to be good. That's your salvation is when you get, when you believe and know Genesis 1 comes before Genesis 3. Mm. That, yeah. So the, I mean, what what's coming up for you as I say that? Or like, what's, oh, what's the I love resonance it. there? I, I, was, I was, funny enough, I had a, I had a image of playing a video game okay. pop up for me. <laughs> okay, where, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> just in the practical, like the practical moment to moment, like what are you more likely, how are you more likely to behave in ways that are positive and constructive versus like destructive uh and i was thinking about playing a video game where like in some of the role-playing games or something where you part of the part of the character that you're deciding is like whether they're good or bad Mm. and like they get extra powers based on (laughs) if you really go good or you really go bad or whatever and if you want what are you more likely like if you walk into the the bar as the good character Somebody you believe, like you walk in with the narrative, I am the good guy here. I am good. I am fundamentally a good person. Mm. Or you walk in with, I am the villain. I am fundamentally a bad character in this game. To me, I played the game differently based on that. Like I am less likely to start a shootout <laughs> if I'm the good guy. If in that narrative, I am thinking of myself as fundamentally good, my behavior tends to follow that narrative. And if I'm operating in the world yes. as though I am fundamentally bad yeah, and I need some grace from somewhere else to cover up that badness, mm. I think I'm more prone to act in the ways that I would consider bad. Mm. I think if I consider myself to be fundamentally good, to be fundamentally made of love and made of mm. wonder and joy and like the, if the fruits of the spirit that we talk right, about right. in the bible right. are are not like things that you have to strive for that are foreign to your actual nature but if if those are more the ways that you are when you're unencumbered from these harmful stories of of should and must and ought and and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and jealousy if these are if these are more like the natural way that we yeah. are when right. we're not so bogged down. Right. I, I just think they're more than, I think we're more likely to flow in those yeah. ways, to live in those ways, to live from those ways. That, I'm so glad you said that because I think, I think for a lot of people, um, certainly, certainly people I've had conversations with about understanding epigenetics, the interpersonal trauma as they're related to what a, an old construct of sin, if we see sin as like your individual fault and this something you need to be saved from, it doesn't it doesn't uh, highlight the interconnectedness between us all. 
that um, just what you were saying reminded me of how how helpful it was for me to really pull apart this idea of individual sin because it reminded me that some of the reasons that I act the way that I act or other people have the pain that they have and the way they express it, while some people might call it sin, it might it might be that we were hurt, that someone gave us a version of the story that said, you're not good. And all of our ways of coping with that pull us further away from the knowing that we're, we are good. Right? So if you're mm-hmm. abused as a kid, it's pretty normal for there to be mental health issues. It's pretty normal for there to be yeah. addiction and some kind of coping or self-harm. And yet, if we look at that person in isolation, some faith context would say, that's sin. Your addiction, that's sin. But what if we looked at that as a natural response for someone who was given a story mm-hmm. about their not goodness and how painful that is and all the ways that they tried to get away from that pain, like maybe the things that we do that we might point to that say, yeah, that person's not good, are actually the result of that story having been spoken over them early on. And it it was so painful to get away from their true nature that, right, that they, things started to kind of break down. That maybe that it's not proof that the person is not good, but maybe it's proof that the story about not being good is the thing that gets in the way. That being treated as not good and not having that mirrored back to us is the problem, not the ways of coping with it. Because I had for so long, people wonder like, how can you self-identify as a Christian, as a person of faith and have this eating disorder? Mm. Like, wow, how can you have... How can you have depression and anxiety and OCD? How can you have this long list of diagnoses and still claim that you have faith? Mm. And for me, the idea is that, or what that communicated to me was that I, that somehow my ways of coping with the story that I was given about my not goodness further reinforced my not goodness and my distance from God instead of seeing Mm. them as natural ways that when we're not shown goodness, we... We have no other way of being besides what people have told us about ourselves. Wow. And you, like you said something about mm. the, the behaving in not good ways that made me think about what teachers say about kids in school. Like if you, if a kid, let's just say a kid behaves in a challenging way and you label that kid as the bad kid and you keep looking for reasons why they're the bad kid, like they can't fight that at some point and they become the bad kid. Yeah not necessarily because they're actually bad, but because the system is so turned against them that the only way for them to survive is either to to submit to that story or to keep pushing against that system in a way that makes them appear more challenging. That the stories that we tell about ourselves actually in some ways become self-fulfilling prophecies or, or feel true. Here are some things that are true. You are good. You have always been good. Right from the beginning. And I'm sorry if anyone told you otherwise. This breath. These hands. Those feet. That smile, those ears, 
that heart, this heart, this beating heart, this breath, this breath, this breath. It's good. It's all good. So, so, so good. You are loved. You are so loved. You are lovable. You have been working so hard. And I don't have to know how to know that it's true. You are precious. You are not a mistake. You are very on purpose. You are not broken. You never were. I'm sorry that you might have thought that. I'm sorry anyone made you think that. That wasn't about you. But you, you are enough. You are totally enough. You don't have to earn your enoughness. You don't have to grovel for value, for love, for goodness. You already have it. You already are it. You are loved. You are loved. And you, you are good. So, so good. I could imagine kind of a fearful response to fully accepting myself as good because of the implication does that does that mean those people that hurt me mm. those people that I'm afraid of that they're fundamentally good yeah it's a scary thing there's there's a, a really comforting yeah and socially powerful thing about believing that we're the good guys yes yes that they're the bad guys yes and you know if we take that really strong division fundamental mm-hmm. like existential division away from that if people if being is fundamentally good including all the people that do all the really shitty things and believe all the really harmful just you know stories how are we not turning into trump that says you know yeah. there's some decent people there in the, yeah, in the nazi yeah. but like what what are we risking yes <laughs> by by believing mm-hmm. in fundamental goodness mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts about that yeah i think that if we can believe that fundamental goodness is distinct from whether behavior is healthy or not, then it makes that a little bit easier to rest in that tension. You can be good and still do bad things, still still do hurtful things. Um, but the reason why I think it's so important to believe in fundamental goodness is because it it dissolves the idea of conditional goodness. Because if if the only thing that separates me from them is that they're doing hurtful things, well, what do I say about the things that I've done that are hurtful? What, what happens if one day I accidentally 
fill in the blank, or I hurt someone that I love and I don't know that I hurt them. Like who gets to decide where that line is, where you, you become bad because you did some things that hurt some other people. Because the truth is that we all hurt other people and we all hurt other people all the time. And most of us will never even know that. Most of us won't even understand the impact of it. So I think we, we help ourselves out and I don't just mean our view of other people, but really help ourselves out by saying that goodness is unconditional because that means that there's still goodness for me even if I make mistakes. And it's believing that goodness is for me that brings us back home to ourselves, brings us back home to what we might say is like the true, the true nature of who we are and resting in that in a way that translates into our behavior. Mm-hmm. I think it it's trying to cover up the pain of the badness that we feel like we are that really is how we start to do some wild social and individual and psychological things. Yeah, it demands it seems like it demands a level of of wisdom and nuance even like by being able to distinguish harmful behaviors and um and harmful beliefs in a way that's not so simplistic that's not just yeah. well they're bad we're good. Um, it can feel messy and dangerous and because it kind of is like if we think less simplistically about uh, you know criminal justice for example and yeah and we can't just think of those people as animals to be put in cages it just makes it it makes it more complicated so what do we do with them yeah you know yeah uh, so it just it demands more of us yeah but I think in the long run it it's so much better. It humanizes us and calls us to greater connection and understanding and love and effectiveness. Yeah. Rather than just the simple the simple tools of scapegoating and and broad brush strokes of good guys and bad guys that end up with things like, you know, uh <laughs> Nazi Germany. Right. Um and all the worst parts of humanity are are generally based on those happen because of these really simple like yeah these people are bad right right we should wipe them out (laughs) right Um, and the more sophisticated and nuanced we get with like nobody's bad Mm. Uh, nobody's worth putting in right in in any sort of extermination camps no there's not a a person you know but there are there are behaviors and beliefs that are destructive and it's 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 uh it's more complicated yeah but it's it's so much healthier yeah yeah this is Jamie Lee Finch. Purpose yourself to become perfect at failing so you can remember that you are never actually any of your own names. So you can remember that you're free. You are no more and no less than every single one of your rebirths, and you can't be afraid to light it all on fire. I started to realize how hypocritical it was for me to stand on a stage and preach this exclusive American gospel to people. So I ended up actually quitting that position a few months ago, and I felt so free for the first time in so many years. But with that comes a great deal of loneliness. I always saw myself getting married and have a husband and kids and serve God with all my heart. And 
I really believed that until I fell in love with a woman and that changed everything. I started to doubt God and myself. I was very confused about things. But then the way I see God and the way I, I live my spirituality grew so much and I'm very happy that that happened and I'm really happy of how my life is now. I think that changed and saved my life. My belief change cost me a dear community and relationships, but but this change is good and inevitable. This is who I was always heading towards being. And I think to run from this would have been disastrous. It's just opened me up to be able to talk to more people and to, to love more people and hopefully, you know, in the end, just know that, that I was love. Um, so changing your views is scary, but it's all a part of the growth. This change, it's... I don't think I can go back. I don't think I can re-believe certain things, but I know that I am just as concerned and caring for the world as I've ever been, and maybe more so, more cognitively aware of my desire to help others. Like my belief in God and Jesus hasn't gone away, but it's become more personal in a way, and it's kind of become something that just is evolving and not can't be contained inside just the religion of Christianity. And it's beautiful, and I'm starting to become okay with that, which is really cool. Part of me wishes that I could put the veil back over myself and keep pretending so I could protect my kids by their lives remaining unchanged. And yet, I still feel a bit of pride knowing that I stood up and stepped into the most honest version of myself. It's been amazing to now identify as you know, some essence of a queer monk, witch, artist, and it's like the walls have just transformed into an ecosystem and into something where all life is sacred, not one particular kind of life, and all spirit is sacred. It's been a long journey, but I'm really proud of where I am now. Well, it's exciting now because I feel like I'm exploring the world in a new way and I have a newfound curiosity and excitement about life. Okay, we've hit being good, we've hit should. Let's think about this for a few moments. Being good means my beliefs shouldn't change. Is it is it okay for beliefs to change? Is that is it possible that maybe that that itself even is good? I want to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. That change itself is good? Or yeah, belief, change in beliefs is good, perhaps, as opposed to something yeah. that gets in the way of the goodness. I mean, you've said before on the podcast that like if you that if you're believing the same thing at 20 as you were at 10. Yeah. Uh maybe that's not maybe that's not healthy, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are stages of development and it just it takes embracing that is is uh again a little bit more messy because then you you can't just have one stagnant model of what a correct belief is. You you have to embrace relativity on some level where it's like uh at some at some stages of development training wheels are good yeah and then if you want to be a really great bicyclist eventually take them off yeah 
Um, but that doesn't mean they were bad in mm-hmm. the first place. The, the good, maybe good and bad is not always the best metric to talk about beliefs with. Um, effective might be a good, you know, healthy for mm. that moment and for that level of development. Even between my two girls, right. one is five, one is nine. I'm, I'm realizing I, I don't speak to them in the same ways. I don't use all the same language. Um, and I certainly don't speak to them in the same way that I speak to Lisa or that I speak to right. podcast listeners or like to right. be effective in communicating. Um, we all do this all the time. Like, you know who you're talking to and you adjust accordingly. Mm. Uh, and the better you are at that, the more effective of a communicator you are. And I think that beliefs are, in my experience are related to that in some way. Like at some point, uh, a big loving guy in the sky might be a really helpful construct mm. for mm-hmm. somebody that's feeling alone mm-hmm. and afraid. Mm-hmm. And there's like, but there's an all powerful king in the sky right. <laughs> who's, right. who's with you and watching you and, and within love. Yeah. But then at some point that like, wait, there's a big king in the sky might become more ominous mm. <laughs> and, and more shame mm-hmm. filled. And like, well, we can adjust that metaphor a little bit. Cause it's not literally a king in the sky. Mm. Uh, if that's not helpful anymore, you could think of it more as like the ground of being. You can switch metaphors, you can switch mm. language and make it uh, more helpful for where you're at and what you're dealing with, what you're trying to accomplish. Because that's what I mean. I think sometimes we we lose sight that beliefs are tools, like that our yeah. words and our language, like we they're invented for a reason. Yeah, we we invented words to accomplish something. We were trying to get something done. Uh, you know, we're trying to part to cooperate on getting food together or something. If we don't have a concept of food, how can I work with you to make sure we all have food? Um, so these concepts and belief structures and systems and all that we have are all tools for us. And there's no tool that's appropriate for all circumstances. A hammer is a great tool. Mm-hmm. It's not very useful for editing this podcast. <laughs> it's just not i don't need it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in fact if i try to employ it if i try to use the hammer by cutting apart these wave files in pro tools uh i'm gonna do nothing but cause destruction yeah yeah i think that's that's so well said that like change change is part of life change is inherent in in our psychosocial development and even in our framework of how we see the world and how we see god how we understand God is a part of how we see the world. I think for me, there was a long time where I thought that that how I saw God should inform how I see everything else. But that that isn't super empirically valid. That's actually not how our brains work, that how we see God and the story of God is situated within all of our other cognitive activity, which is a result of all of our lived experiences up until this point. That the reason that you might think God is one way or another way is probably because that idea was made available to you or or you were mm-hmm. encouraged or not encouraged to think a certain way. And it's it's really hard for us to see just how connected and interdependent we are with the world around us when a lot of us want to think we're original. We want to think that we're we're the only one thinking this way or we've got it the right way. It's really like a tough pill to swallow to realize what we think and how we think, including the rigidity or the flexibility is, is a result of 
the messages we've been given yeah. and what's been praised in us. But I, I think, right, as you were mentioning before, that it's really important that we make room for our beliefs to change because that's actually a really healthy developmental step. And if that's not allowed, like if the boundaries on thinking are not allowed to change, and we're told that is related in some ways to our, our sense of conditional goodness, it that's going to really... Um, that's not going to hold up very long. It actually gets in the way of the natural process of how life works. Like if, you know, if I'm wearing a pair of shoes at eight and I'm told these are the best and most beautiful shoes, at some point my feet feet are going to bust out of them if I'm 35. Like my feet are not going to and are not supposed to fit in shoes that fit at eight years old. And that's good and okay. And the longer, the longer my feet are in those eight-year-old shoes, the more my feet are going to hurt and the more the shoes are going to fall apart. So I think we need to make room to see that change is part of the goodness of how we're created. Trees, mm. when they're healthy, are not meant to stay the same size. Yeah. Right? Human bodies, when they're healthy, are not meant to stay the same shape or size. Right? Even, I mean, I'm, I'm going to soapbox temporarily but the idea of bouncing back following pregnancy having a pre-pregnancy body mm. is like trying to keep yourself in eight-year-old shoes and the world just yeah. does this to us in so many ways like stay young stay thin stay useful stay right wrinkle free that's not how life goes and it's not how it goes with our bodies or our faith or our right our relationships with other people so i think that we could even flip this and say, if we're seeing that that all of this is good, that life itself is good, that the unfolding and the process of aging and maturity and development is good, that we could also say that change is good and change in beliefs is good. And instead yeah. of um, you know being good means my beliefs won't change, we could say, instead, you're already good. And one of the things that might happen in your goodness is that your beliefs will change at some point, and that will be beautiful and good and healthy and uncomfortable, and all of that can be true at the same time. Yeah. I love that you included uncomfortable in there. Because yes, it, yeah. <laughs> it does, I mean, our natural, like you can, we can feel the discomfort yeah. of change and, and read into that and like make a story out of that. Like, well, this should be, let's put in more shoulds. If I was going in the right direction, this should be easier than this. Mm, like if, if I right. was actually growing, why, why is this so painful? But I think the more that we can understand that, that any growth always is going to include some level of uncomfortable, yeah, uh, it's growing pains. It's part of it. Um, yeah, we can start to be less reactive. Mm -hmm. I think to the to the uncomfort and and welcome it. Mm -hmm. So so Michael is be just being good. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> if you've listened this far and you're not sure what we think, <laughs> we'll make it really clear. Being good does not necessarily mean your beliefs shouldn't change. <laughs> so not not true. <laughs> yeah. Not true. It's not a lie. True. Okay. We'll stamp it. We'll put stamped the stamp it. on it. Yep. Stamped. <laughs> Debunked. Debunked. Yeah. <laughs> Pulled apart. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. As always, we'd love to invite you to join us in talking about today's topic this weekend on The Sunday Thing, a weekly gathering 
of the Liturgist community online. If you want to learn more about that, just go to theliturgists.com and click on join us. Thanks for listening, everybody.